evening. Hey, that was a much better response, uh, Dennis. If you want some notes on that later. Uh, it's good to be with you, brothers and sisters. Um, what does it mean to be truly blessed? Vexed with that question and wondering what the world might say, I decided that I should consult Twitter. Now, first, I needed permission from my son, Matthew. Uh, we had both agreed that, we would, that I would stay off of Twitter for a month and he would stay off of YouTube for a month. And it was his idea. It was a good idea. And uh, in fact, our agreement ended on January 4th, but we're both still going. We both still have sworn away those forms of social media. And it's been a blessing, honestly. Anyway, he granted me permission to go ahead and do this search for the sermon. So here's what I got when I searched hashtag blessed. A couple of them. Quote, I'm so incredibly blessed to have reached 185 followers on my Twitch channel. Hashtag Twitch fam, hashtag, hashtag blessed. Here's another one. Uh, my first slice of authentic New York City pizza, and I am not disappointed. Hashtag blessed. With a picture of Sabaro's pizza. Another one. Finally, I got my iPhone XR. Hashtag blessed. Another one. Got Taco Bell tonight. Hashtag blessed. Now, many of these aren't bad per se, though I do seriously question that Sabaro post, which I assume was posted ironically. But I think after looking at Psalm 1-1 tonight, we're going to see that all of these miss the greater blessings. So go ahead and turn to uh, Psalm 1. You can find it on page 448 if you're using one of the pew Bibles there. And tonight we have a simple goal. It's going to answer the question, what says, what it means, and what it means for us. It's going to answer the question, what does it mean to be blessed? And being God's word, I can guarantee it's infinitely more edifying than Twitter. So what does it say? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Very simply, this says that a man or a woman is blessed when they do not do one of three things. You notice right away that these three things have a similar structure. There are three verbs in order. It's walk, stand, and sit. There are three descriptions of the company that it's done with. Wicked, sinners, scoffers. And there are three ways that the verbs and the audience interact with each other. In order, in the council, in the way, and in the seat. When they do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, when they do not stand in the way of sinners, and when they do not sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, the man in view here is probably the same person, and it's that same person who doesn't do these three things. But most importantly, most commentators say that these three lines show a worsening progression. So we're going to get to that in a minute. We go, the man who goes from walking in the counsel, that is, listening to the advice of the wicked, Next progression, standing in the way of sinners or acting in the same manner as sinners. Third, to sitting in the seat of scoffers, not only acting against God, but actively mocking God and approving of others who sin as well. We see this kind of progression elsewhere in Scripture also, from uh, the counsel to the acting out in Genesis where Adam and Eve first received bad counsel from the serpent, if you remember that, and then they acted on it. Uh, we find acting out to sitting in the scoffer seat uh, as one example in Romans 1, verse 32. Quote, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. One web resource put it this way. 
The apparent progression presents a picture of someone walking next to sin, then stopping to stand and to take it all in, and then finally sitting down, sitting right down in sin's seat to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of it. This is what it says, but now we're going to talk about what it means to us. I have two points. First, we must have our sins forgiven, and second, we must step faithfully on our sins forgiven. On one level, there is no one at any time or place who has perfectly fulfilled just these three provisions in Psalm 1-1 and could claim its blessing. We have all sinned and even scoffed at God. There's only one person who completely fulfilled Psalm 1-1, along with the entirety of God's law, and that's Jesus Christ. He did not take counsel from the wicked. In fact, Satan tried to counsel him three times to disobey God in the wilderness, and three times Christ fended him away with Scripture. Jesus never once stood in the way of sinners, meaning partaking of sin. The Bible says that he knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, and elsewhere that he was in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin. And he most certainly did not sit in the seat of scoffers. He battled with them day after day, including confronting the Sadducees who said there's no resurrection, or when the religious leaders scorned his background as a carpenter from Galilee. He was not on the side with scoffers, but unfortunately he was the object of their seduce. Most vividly when he wore a crown of thorns and was hailed as king of the Jews just before his crucifixion. Jesus always perfectly obeyed God by shunning evil advice, saying no to sin, and defending God when others scoffed. The gospel, the good news, is that he had, that he who had no sin became sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. To confess and believe, you must repent and trust, taking God's side against sin, turning away from it, and trusting in Jesus' work means that your sins are forgiven and you are eternally blessed with life everlasting with Jesus in paradise. We see from elsewhere in the Psalms that this is truly the ultimate blessing, having one's sins forgiven. Psalm 32, 1 says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Psalm 34, 8 says, Blessed is the man who takes refuge in the Lord. Psalm 34 talks about a man being blessed when he is delighted in the Lord. This is by far the most important blessing because of what Mark 8.34 says. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Many of you here tonight are forgiven by God through Jesus. Praise the Lord. And my second point, to step carefully, is going to be filled with application for you. This is where we'll spend most of our time. A man is blessed by walking with God and avoiding evil. Things tend to go well for him. So it's not an absolute guarantee that things in this life will go, you know, just as we want. Here we must recognize that the Psalms speak of Jesus as he himself taught, and they're also wisdom literature. That essentially means that they are written to provide helpful instruction for daily living. That daily living will be among the wicked, among sinners, and even among scoffers. Paul tells us not to misunderstand commands to avoid the wicked as meaning we have to exit the world. In fact, Jesus commands for us to go and to make disciples out of every nation who we're going to make the disciples out of, but the wicked, the sinners, and even, yes, the scoffers. And in fact, Jesus himself interacted with sinners all the time. 
even notorious tax collectors and prostitutes. We are to be in the world, but we are to be careful. So if we're living, we walk not in the counsel, should we act? The first of three instructions says we are blessed if we walk not in the counsel of the wicked. We should be careful who is counseling us. Counsel can take many forms. Most obviously, you can ask someone for advice about a situation. What they tell you will be a direct result of their own worldview and their own thinking. When a decision has a significant spiritual aspect, and many do, why would you ask a worldly person, or at least why would you only ask them, deep in biblical knowledge and personal experience? Or at least why would you only ask them? Why would you make a significant decision without thoughtful, prayerful advice from your own elders? We also receive counsel in our media intake, books, internet, podcasts, social media, and other input. We are receiving counsel from others in those forms, and we should be careful what we're listening to, and remember that garbage in means garbage out. 1 Corinthians 15 says that bad company corrupts good character. Proverbs 13 says, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Is there room for God in your podcasts and playlists? Do you invest in relationships in the church? Who do you get advice from? Do you invest in relationships in the church so that you can give and receive godly counsel? These are all questions we should be asking ourselves. Now, does this mean that we should never ask non-Christians for advice? I don't think so. But I think we should always be careful and weigh what they say, especially carefully. We should judge what they say and, frankly, what our Christian friends say, too, uh, by scriptures, like the Berean Christians did. Acts 17, you can read about that later on if you want. Of particular note is uh, the verse right after this one, Psalm 1-2, which says this about the blessed man. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. We must know our Bibles as we're sifting the advice that we get from others. I heard a sermon illustration about this one time. It stuck with me many years later, perhaps decades later now. It was uh, about a man who told us that in the people who study and try to find counterfeits they don't do that by looking all all the counterfeits. They do that by knowing the genuine thing truly and deeply so well that they will be able to recognize if something's off. And it ought to be the same way with us and with the Bible. You got to know your Bible. Well, the next of the three instructions say that we are not to stand in the way of sinners. This means we should not be acting like the world, you know, doing what they do in the way that they do it. First Peter 4 puts it this way. Live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Here I want to point out the importance of accountability. The first step of accountability is to join a local church. Attend regularly, hear the word of the Lord preached. Get to know people in the church and share your lives with them. Over time, you can begin an intentional accountability relationship with someone in the church where you can ask each other hard questions. And as they get to know you, you'll both know the questions to ask each other. If you desire that kind of relationship, but it hasn't happened yet, I know the elders are eager to help and happy to help. The scripture tells us that we should confess our sins to one another in James 5. And we are to hold each other accountable to our church covenant and ultimately to scripture. The third instruction is to not sit in the seat of scum to a Sunday night prayer meeting. 
But um, you know, I doubt it, that you guys are reposting lectures from famous atheists on your own social media accounts. But um, I think it's uh, important. I want to give you two thoughts about this. Very few scoffers start off there. And that gets back to that progression point we were just talking about. They often start with a big intake of the world's wisdom, mix in a lifestyle of sin, and they end up joining the scoffers by suppressing the truth and justifying their own sin. We see that in Romans 1. The other thought is that even scoffers can be saved. Look at Saul, who scoffed at Stephen, approving of those who stoned Stephen to death. Later, Saul would become Paul, and he faced his own death because he followed Jesus. These warnings are here for our good. Those who follow the world into sin will likely experience misery in this life since sin never satisfies beyond a fleeting moment. You can go and read Ecclesiastes to be reminded of that. As we wrap up, I want to look once again at the verbs in this verse. Walk, stand, and sit. The Bible talks a fair bit about walking with the Lord, but the more prominent verb is run. So I want you to encourage, encourage you not to walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. Instead, listen to Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Don't walk, stand, or sit with the world. Flee from the world's sinful ways and participate in the good race with fellow believers so that you will be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Philippians 2, 15. Then you will be truly hashtag blessed. Let's pray.